0: We know the symbol of light is fundamental for Dante too. It's the light of the stars that he yearns for and ultimately sees on coming out of hell. So today we start the Divine Comedy. I've called the talk simply The Dark Wood. We are called to know ourselves. Our depths and heights, despair and ecstasy. All this is written clearly in the Psalter. Over the millennia, the search to understand our role in the created order has haunted the rise and fall of civilizations. We may trace it from the animistic magic that drew the first signs of art and religion together in the dark recesses of caves and onwards across the centuries to our own century and the psychiatrist's couch. Each of the world's great religions has its inner teachings. These are set not only to guard the psyche but also to open its true potentialities by returning its attention to its true goal. Such teaching is transmitted through sacred scriptures, liturgical act, the lives and writings of the saints, and what may be described as the oral tradition, imparted by the wise of all walks of life. When studying the Christian faith, over the centuries, it is remarkable remarkable to find an author like Dante, for he, a poet, transmits with profundity matters true at the core of the inner struggle of the soul as it hopefully travels away from the illusionary and ephemeral aspects of life towards the eternal. The essential secret Of the journey in the Western tradition is the response to the dialogue brought about by seeing and acknowledging the stirring of relationship with the God who reveals himself to us. There are here the ingredients of the ecstasy known and the courage to root such theophanies in our lives and the society in which we find ourselves. Our intention has to be right and focused and whatever we do we shall discover our inner selves being pruned often apparently quite ruthlessly. I am thinking of Dante's exile and equivalent humiliations in our own lives. In all this there has to be a humility to accept the dark wood that we may well find ourselves in and to find the sheer guts to simply to go on. In all this, all the ingredients of our life are involved. Our parentage, society, education and so forth nothing escapes the scrutiny of the spirit. One thinks of the refrain of a Victorian hymn, Just as I am. In Dante's case, we not only find a remarkable intellect, but also a vast educational grasp of the knowledge available in his day. This became the instrument upon which his poetic genius played, drawing out a vision of things which was integrated to his own life and trials. If we assume 1300 to be a convenient turning point in his creative life, then we may also add that the date may be taken as a guide to understanding how the richness of the West's inner spiritual tradition began in earnest to become lost with the new-found emphasis on the individual seeking out his own worlds. There came about the consequential movement from the heart to the head, from the eyes of the heart to the eyes of perspective, from the old cosmology to the new science. All this movement within the psyche is to be noted in the art of the period. Through the corruption of the Church, Europe was soon to become divided. Dante was acutely aware of the impending crisis brewing around him. He foresaw that judgment was soon come as he beheld the corruption and divisions within the papacy set within the context of weak, warring city-states of the Italian peninsula, all at the mercy of the ambitious desires of France and Germany. He longed for a righteous prince to come and to set the lands of Italy at peace and under good government. Now I go back to something I talked about in the very um, first talk. This is the difference between orthodox Christian understanding of the inner life and the Catholic understanding of visions. There is a difference of emphasis in orthodox and catholic spirituality that should be noted when approaching Dante. Orthodoxy in general teaches the apophatic way of not being beguiled by visions and mystical experiences. This tradition emphasizes the need for detachment from the sensory, emotional and rational thought, the imagination being a stumbling block due to the beguiling temptations of the evil one who encourages us to indulge in our fantasies For example, St. Isaac the Syrian writes, soul that loves God, in God and in him alone finds peace. First release yourself from all your outward attachments, then your heart will be able to unite with God. For union with God is first preceded by detachment from matter. Now Dante lived in an age of mystics, when men and women were having all sorts of visions, and often psychic delusions. In this context, it seems little doubt that Dante was a Franciscan tertiary, a member of the Third Order of St. Francis, and consequently, as we shall see, profoundly concerned with the need for the Church to rediscover its vocation of Poverty and simplicity of life. Saint Francis of Assisi is an excellent example making the difference, marking the difference between East and West. The popular image of the little flowers distorts the poverello from the more authentic understanding of the saint that may may be found in writings such as the mirror of perfection there is little doubt that authentic Franciscanism has little to do with the sickly emotionalism by which the order was later later to promote itself. For example, there are paintings at La Verna, that's where um, St. Francis received the stigmata, that turn the stomach and which are intellectually repulsive, well at least to myself, Orthodoxy in all its prayers and teachings always balances the cross with the resurrection and therefore the overtly concentration of the sufferings and wounds of Christ found in the West is in the East always balanced by the resurrection and the glory of the transfiguring light of the Holy Spirit. The stigmata, for example, is unknown in Orthodoxy. The records, whether accurate or not, of Francis's intense labour of the imagination, psychic suggestions, and visionary images help to indicate the dividing line between the apophatic and what Charles Williams calls the affirmative way that Dante lays before us. The teaching of the fathers of the East is admirably summed up in the words of St. Nilos of Sinai, when he admonishes: "Never desire nor seek any face or image during prayer. Do not wish for sensory visions of angels or powers or Christ, lest you lose yourself by mistaking the wolf for the shepherd and worship enemies, the demons." The beginning of the begarment of the mind is vainglory which moves the mind to try and represent the deity in some form or image. What are we to make of Dante's Commedia in the light of such things, with its proposed visions of the afterlife of saints and angels, the Virgin Mary and Christ? As will eventually be shown, Dante certainly does not suggest that he saw God, but that he had a deep intuition into the mystery of the Most Holy Trinity and of the Incarnation. As for the rest of his tale, he records in language of the highest poetry a knowledge of the soul and its journey. And for this he uses all the true and affirmative imagery available to him. In harmony with the orthodox East, Dante had no doubt about demons and their beguiling power. Uh, We should certainly see that fact as we read hell. Together with the absolutely necessary ministry of the angels, the prayer of the saints, and the intimate relationship between the living and the dead the transfiguring light and glory of the holy spirit of judgment and the general resurrection indeed orthodoxy opens so much of the divine the divine commander's insights for Dante's own times were closer in many ways to the eastern tradition than the Western tradition of today, which has become overlaid with the secular and the profane, and this entertains a far different imagery to that to which Dante was accustomed. The journey begins. At the outset of the Inferno, Dante suggests that there are two ways to God, The way of the saint, known or unknown, who stands before God and ascends, figuratively, the penitentiary hill of Calvary, towards the direct and sure embrace of the Saviour. The second way is that of the prodigal, who through his own folly has wasted his inheritance in the marketplace of life only to be humiliated and forced to recognize that he has been seduced by nonsense, rubbish, trash, having eaten of the husks rejected by the swine. There is no doubt Dante knew that he belonged to the second category and assumes this is so with a far greater majority of his readers. The tale he sets out to tell was his own, complete with warts and all. He assumed that his tale, in essence, had bearing on our own life. Perhaps he also hoped that we might have the honesty to rewrite the Commedia according to our own embarrassing failures and wretchedness. For we have all offended God's laws and strayed from the way. As the old prayer book of the Church of England says in the General Confession set before morning and evening prayer, there is no health in us. For Dante, our health is our inner health and that is dependent on our relationship with the living God. Without this we lose what he terms the good of the intellect, il ben dell'intelletto. And this is the major theme of his great poem, the regaining of the health of the good of the intellect. If the first um, 27 lines of the opening canton do not ring true to the reader, then, then he or she better lay the book aside and get on with other things. These opening lines paint the picture of an, emo- an emotional and intellectual breakdown, personal defeat, confusion through sin and error, as well as the hardness of the heart, by which the heart becomes in- incapacitated and to return to God. Let's look at those first three famous lines. Nel mezzo del camin di nostra vita, mi ritrovai per una selva oscura, che la dritta via era smarrita. Midway, this life, way of life we are bound upon. I woke to find myself in a dark wood, where the right road was wholly lost and gone. We find here three essential images, the dark wood, waking from sleep, and the right road. In the book of Genesis, chapter 2, we find Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and the tragic loss of the beauty that surrounded them. On completing his arduous Climb of Mount Purgatory. Uh, if you look in the little diagram at the beginning of the, di- uh, of the Divine Com- Comedy in-, in Dorothy Sayers' uh, edition, you-, you can see that hell and purgatory are intimately related, and that will become more and more obvious as we press along. On completing his arduous climb of Mount Purgatory, Dante enters there, the wood of earthly innocence, that is the Eden we should have known in our hearts, and there is a strict parallel between these two woods, the dark wood and the wood wood of earthly innocence. It's the same wood, known from two totally different aspects. Sin turns the beauty once known into sludge. The immortal wheat known in childhood, childhood's innocence is lost, for as Thomas Traherne explains in the third meditation of the third century, with much ado I was corrupted and made to learn the dirty devices of this world. To lose the vision of the eternal, archetypal beauty, is to fall into a deep sleep that forgets all that was once intuitively known. The image is platonic and may may be interpreted on more levels than one. For example, Dante could be suggesting that there are two falls. The first occurs at our birth due to the fact that the soul comes from God we forget the oneness once known initially for the warmth known within our mother's womb and at birth we fall through the dream-like fascination for the illusory shadows of this world the second form comes precisely because of this fascination with the ephemeral as described so well by Thomas Traherne. Note that Dante makes it clear that the manner in which we drowse into sleep of a misdirected life, lacking in right intention, is hard to analyze, for the senses gradually, imperceptibly numb the inner life. For example, he cannot fathom out how he initially became lost in the dark wood. Io non so ben ridir com mio ventrai, tant'era pien di sonno a quel punto che la verace via abbandonai. How I got into it, I cannot say, because I was so heavy and full of sleep when I first stumbled from the narrow way." Canto 1, lines 10 to 12. (coughs) When Dante speaks of the narrow way, the Italian has the true way. He is implying that our conscience intuitively knows providing we have not lost the Christ within. That tells us what is right, our moral consciousness. Buddhists have a similar concept and speak of the Bodhicitta within us all. Rumi and the Sufis speak of the danger of losing the Jesus within due to our foolishness. And we find a similar teaching with the seventeenth century Cambridge Platonists, who were adamant concerning the conscience and its relationship to God's laws. Benjamin Whichcote writes, The laws of God are not impositions of will or power and pleasure, but the resolutions of truth, reason and justice. He adds, Conscience is God's vicegerent, theos inoikos, that is, the God dwelling in us. It is by the voice of our conscience that we learn to stand before God and learn from Him, sometimes amidst our tri- trials, like Job and Dante we tend to argue with him, the Deity. The poet goes on to teach in all these important initial verses that to wake from the sleep of sin and to come to the recognition that the right way has become lost is not something we do totally ourselves. It is rather an act of grace and compassion given by the heavenly worlds. He goes on to add that to think back to the wild, rugged and harsh world of sin renews a deep fear within him. It is the age-old lesson of Orpheus to look backwards towards the infernal regions is to lose all that we have laboured for next little section is called the Commedia and the Paschal Light of the Vigil of Holy Saturday. In these lines there's also an unmistakable echo of St. Augustine's O Felix Cooper O happy mistake for the verses insist that he will speak of the good that he found deep in the realm of sin. To appreciate this, it is necessary to remember that the Commedia's journey is taking, taking place during the liturgical climax of Holy Week. Thus the poet's own descent into hell is a meditation on the implication of Christ's descent into the realm of the dead and his great paschal victory. The deacon in the old western rite sang before the blessing of the paschal candle during the holy Saturday Virgil. This is the night which throughout the whole world today doth separate they that believe in Christ from the wickedness of the age. The darkness of transgression reneweth them unto grace, restoreth them to holiness. Oh, how wonderful the condensation of thy loving kindness! Oh, how inestimable the goodness of thy love! Who to redeem a slave to sin didst thou deliver up thy son? O truly necessary sin of Adam, by which the death of Christ has been done away. O felix culpa, O happy fault, which was counted worthy to have such and so great a redeemer. Those thoughts are echoing through Dante's mind as he sits down to write. These words are of crucial importance when considering the opening verses of the first great cantica. It would be good to read the text of the whole service according to the ancient Western Rite and then remember that Dante heard them sung in the ambience of the Byzantine Byzantine mosaics of Ravenna where he lived as we progress and reach paradise it will become obvious that he was deeply influenced by this splendid iconographical world. The next little heading is The Veil of Mortality. As the poet desperately stumbles on he becomes aware of struggling through a valley until he reaches a hill which rises up at the valley's end. This valley is the veil of our mortality, of pain, of suffering, and death. The imagery that Dante refers to may be found in the Salve Regina, one of the hymns of the Blessed Virgin Mary in the Catholic Rite. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this veil of tears. The prayer continues with a petition that, as we shall see, is answered in the following canto, canto two, by the Virgin herself. Turn then, most gracious advocate, thine eyes of mercy towards us, and after this our exile show us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Dante would tell us that his awakening was due to the intervention of Mary, the mother of God. As we descend into hell with all its gloom and torments, it will be often hard to recall that in the Paradiso, the poet will eventually behold the glory of the Lord, and the beauty of Mary. In verses of pure allegory, we are formed that the first rays of the sun, breaking at dawn shone from behind the hill. It is the light that leads men by every path. Canto 1, verse 18. The hill is Calvary, the sun is Christ's resurrected glory, And the ascent of the hill is the path of pilgrimage as opposed to the vain pursuit of the ego's mean self centred satisfaction. Note that from verse 19 onwards, Dante builds up image after image. We find, for example, the lake of the heart, the deep darkness. Of night, a time when there is no stars, when there are no stars, fear, dangerous waters, the lack of breath and exhaustion after escaping shipwreck, gazing on the mountain pass through which the poet has presumably passed, walking along a desert strand and beginning at last to climb the hill before him. Perhaps we are meant here to feel that Dante's movement away from the dark wood, the fort of Calvary's hill, is akin to a personal exodus, the crossing of the sea separating death from life, an intentional movement away from life's marketplace and the aspiration for the freedom of the life of the Spirit. It is not a situation of Calvinistic predestination. He is, no matter how chaotically, making an effort with all that is within him. He reaches out and the Lord will receive him. Maybe this imminent descent into hell and eventual climb of Purgatory's mountain are to be interpreted as a preparation for the promised land akin to the Hebrews' exodus and wanderings in the wilderness. If this is so, then Dante is thinking in the traditional interpretation of the exodus, as may be found in the writings of St. Gregory of Nyssa, and which also is suggested that he knew this interpretation um, due to his letter to his patient can grande de la scala thus the humiliation of his exile from Florence was eventually through grace to become positive rather than negative for out of his experience its experience was to be born his great poem for the benefit of many victory overcomes defeat for the new life of the spirit The next heading is simply The Three Beasts and Their Significance. Dante sets his pace to climb the hill, but finds his way blocked by a never-resting leopard, the image of incontinence. He frankly states that the, the beast will not depart from before his eyes, Thereby implying, the lust of the eyes distracted him, and would not allow him to concentrate on the great task of penitence ahead of him. Fearfully he turns and makes his way down the hill. Wherever the new light, the new day is now breaking with all its splendour. Dante notes that the sun, that is, the light of Christ. Likewise, the paschal light of the candle lit on Holy Saturday rises with the stars that wear with it when divine love first set those beautiful things in motion. Lines 37 to 40. In other words, the archetypal life is being rekindled in the... S- Soul. The theme of the stars is an essential image in the Commedia, as we have already pointed out. On descending into hell, their light is extinguished. He emerges from the underworld once again to admire their beauty. He will eventually rise with his beloved from the garden of earthly innocence towards the light of the stars and through contemplating the mystery of the Holy Trinity, he would behold the power that moves the stars. The stars, both astronomically and astrologically, were of great importance to Dante. They are, from a Neoplatonic point of view, the divine overseeing our mortality. Thus, to lose the sight of the stars, is to lose the archetypal worlds see once again their light is to regain the aspiration for a right knowledge to ascend to the stars is to gain genuine insight through right meditation and right contemplation while the light-footed leopard gambols about Dante he sees a savage lion coming towards him of raging hunger this beast represents the sin of pride a sin from which as Dante would tell us he suffered next a lean she-wolf craving with hunger relentlessly came on towards him and forced him back to where the sun is silent La dove il sole tace. Line 60. The she-wolf is an emblem of Rome, and thus the political world, with all its ambition, materialism, vice and avarice. Clearly, the years of his political life in Florence relentlessly haunted the poet. Lust plays before him Pride would storm him, and avarice pushes him backwards, away from the light. He is no—he is not fit, in no fit condition, to ascend Calvary. God is not mocked. Dante's—there's a little aside here. Dante's imagery of the three beasts, which in the West are traditional images of sin may recall the Mahayana Buddhist imagery of the wheel of life. In this, at the hub of the wheel are also three beasts, and these symbolise, according to Buddhist teaching, greed, hatred and delusion. A red cock represents passionate desire and attachment, a green snake represents hatred, enmity and aversion, and a black hog represents the darkness of the ego and its delusions. It is surely not difficult to relate lust, pride and avarice to these three beasts. Indeed, indeed, their interpretation serves to open up Dante's understanding of these root sins of the delusive power of evil. Lust is desire, greed and wrong attachment. Pride generates hatred, division and the perversity of the, of the will. Avarice is the self-centered delusion to have and to hold, to possess. Dante's descent down into the inverted cone of hell in into the cone of hell easily relates the image of the wheel he descends anti clockwise the imagery significance is obvious and it is interesting to note it is said that Tibetan Mahayana Buddhism was influenced in its imagery through Nestorian Christianity Virgil The poet stumbles down, down the track by which he had sought to climb the hill. Suddenly he sees a human form, a ghost, or human form he knows not. The shade of Virgil, seventy to nineteen BC, the Roman, Roman poet, the author of the Aeneid, Jordics, and Eclogues, has come to him to be his guide down through hell are not Mount Purgatory. But why a pagan poet? Why not a Christian saint? Or perhaps even his guardian angel? To understand the fundamental role of Virgil, it is necessary to move from the literal to the allegorical interpretation of the tale. He represents the essential good of the intellect granted to all, but which is too often neglected, ignored or even squandered through being devoured by the three beasts of lust, pride and avarice. To lose the gourd of the intellect for Dante is to be in hell, and to regain it requires an understanding, an understanding of what hell is, together with undertaking the arduous climb of Purgatory's mount. God is not mocked. We must make the effort for grace to be given us. The gift of the good of the intellect, il ben dell'intelletto, which you will find in Canto 3, verse 18, enables the building up of a human wisdom through a proper response to life's experiences. Such wisdom is open to all. The ancient world acknowledged innate principles of knowledge in the human soul which were predisposed to an understanding of the world. The right use of the intellect ensured a positive, proleptic or anticipatory outlook on life. The Stoics, for example, termed hegemonicon, this positive attitude, which enabled the individual to be directed in all his actions towards the good through recollection, an anamnesis, and a right will. It's important to grasp that for Dante these innate principles are essentially The same in all minds, enabling us to participate in veracity, constancy, eternity and universality. It is through the good of the intellect that the human mind is predisposed to participate in the divine mind. Thus Virgil in the Commedia represents the best in a person but without that that especial Christian concept of redemption and grace given through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Dante has chosen a poet because the right use of a poet's gifts is not only lyrical, but also visionary and prophetic. Virgil fitted this role ideally, For in his fourth eclogue he looked forwards to the birth of a wonder child who would restore the golden age. Thus it was was that in the medieval mind Virgil had the reputation of being a poet magus, a wise man. However for Dante it is the humanity of Virgil that is his essential quality. The good of the intellect is faithful, caring, understanding, and essential to brotherly love. He is therefore, that is Virgil, he is therefore our sensitivity, feeling, and insight, the best of our innate sense of right and wrong. He is the exercise of our will in the effort to do good, to understand matters in the light of truth, as well as the making and persevering of beauty through the practice of poetic and artistic gifts. In the narthex of orthodox churches it's often possible to find frescoes above one depicting Plato, Aristotle, Plutarch and others, for they through the right use of the good of the intellect were prophets amongst the Gentiles of the Lord's coming. But note that all this said, Virgil is not a substitute for religion in the deep sense, or for Christianity. This we have to discover in Beatrice. There's still more to say about Virgil. He is a person's mentor. A mentor cannot be a substitute for God. He may only indicate the way ahead. And this is exactly what Virgil does. A mentor is one who inspires us. The music of Johann Sebastian Bach, the plays of Shakespeare, the poetry of Wordsworth, the paintings of Rembrandt, the novels of Dostoevsky, the writings of Martin Buber, or whoever. We all need a mentor, even mentors. They are essential for getting our sluggish souls to move along the way, to embrace life, to know truth, to find the Christ within us. Our mentors are essential companions helping us. Never ends in themselves. Hero worship Is a deadly delusion that blinds us to the true shepherd of our souls. The next heading is The Greyhound. Much has been written about Dante's prophecy of the greyhound, who will come one day and drive away their avaricious she-wolf back to hell. We'll find that in Canto 1, lines 100 and 111. The sy- symbolism of the greyhound goes back to the medieval symbolism of the hunt. And we can find a parallel of it in Francis Thompson's The Hound of Heaven. The hound, allegorically, is the lord of truth who comes to hunt out the heart, H-A-R-T, the soul, even the heart, H-E-A-R-T, eventually he would come to judge the quick and the dead. On another level, he is the wise ruler who comes to reform and cast out corruption in the state. Dante certainly longed for a wise prince to come and set to right the city-states of Italy and establish a right and balanced relationship with the papacy. A careful reading of the book of Revelation, chapter 18, helps to set Dante's prophecy into context. Prophecy is never black and white but evokes many hues in the context of the mystery of the body of Christ. The greyhound has already come. He is also in history, in the here and now, and will come again. It is not only blatant evil that is judged, but the whole sham of mediocrity that promotes avarice and masquerades under such headings as art or the media even democracy as Blake said the outward ceremony is antichrist surely Dante and Traherne would have agreed with that thought of the three beasts it is the she-wolf who is the great adversary of the Greyhound. When Dante is ultimately reunited with Beatrice in the last cantos of the Purgatorio, he is initiated by means of two-stage masks into the meaning of history and judgment. Here at this point of the tale, it is important to note that it was the she-wolf that drove Dante back down on the hill of Calvary. In this sense, he was judged. The power game of politics and the bustle of the marketplace drive him away from what he knows to be true. He is haunted by the total failure of his brief political career. He is utterly humiliated by his exile from his beloved Florence. Hell stands before him. Its echoes reside even in his heart. He cannot move on without unmasking the Lucifer abiding in his own selfhood, together with all the voices of the spirits that tempt him to be the fairest of all, the greatest poet of all time. Is at a point of utter crisis. He must accept the judgment of his wretched condition. Dante's failure was due to becoming becoming embroiled with energies with energies contrary to his true self. A poet plays with fire if he becomes involved with politics. It is so easy to set out on life journey by choosing a career and by making the mistake to become involved with the delusions that alienate us from the life of the spirit. The let's go, let's get, have and hold, the e- echo centered mentality of the marketplace is totally contrary to the poet's vocation. William Blake once more helps. A poet, a painter, a musician, an architect, the man or woman who is not one of these is not a Christian. The eternal body of man is the imagination, that is God himself, the divine body, Jesus. We are all his members. In eternity, all is vision. And so the Christ within us is not only our conscience but the true channel of the imagination as opposed to delusive um, fantasies. This, according to Blake and Dante, is the true creative life. Clearly the poet within wishes to succeed However, the games for power in all walks of life will be against the life of the Spirit. Dante's failure and exile were his own making. They drew him out of his shell and made him consider the interplay between people and how through their actions they might either ascend or descend. He would offer his tale to all remoulded into great poetry. Maybe a few would listen to his warnings and understand his insights. The tale is one of how life's bitter miscalculations and failures may be through grace turned into victory. Failure announces but a new chapter in life. The imagery of Lady Julian of Norwich is so apt here, our wounds become our worships. Thereby we are taken into the mystery of the cross, that stumbling block for so many. Like Thomas Traherne, Dante was to learn. That the cross is the abyss of wonders, the centre of desires, the school of virtues, the house of wisdom, the throne of love, the theatre of joys, and the place of sorrows. It is the root of happiness and the gate of heaven. The first century meditations, number 58, in Traherne's Uh, Centuries. But we shall have to wait until we reach the heavens of the Paradiso before we shall learn Dante's deep teaching concerning how the cross and the light, that is the glory, are interrelated. Canto 2 The Journey Continues. Canto 1 is a grand overture, of the whole Commedia. Canto 2 is an extended prelude to Hell Proper. It sets out the mystery of the three blessed ladies and Virgil's mission, to which Dante owes his rescue from the dark wood. The poet invokes the Muses to kindle his memory. The awakening of his memory will likewise require the illuminating of his memory and the right effort of the will. For as William Drummond wrote in his A Hymn of the Fair Fair in 1623, echoing the same Augustian Augustinian thought that influenced Dante, So in our souls, three and yet one are still the understanding, memory, and will. Dante turns to Virgil. In weakness and fear, he acknowledges that he is not Aeneas, who was called to descend into Hades in order to learn of his mission to settle in Italy and so bring about the foundation of Rome. Um, Little footnote there, however Dante's descent does set out the wrongs of his land, and in the poem he looks forward to the day when Italy is united and whole. He goes on to say he is most certainly not St. Paul, who, who according to an early text had a vision of hell. Another little footnote there. The text of the Apocalypse of St. Paul and Dante's verses are inspired by the second book of Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 2. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, body, I cannot tell. God knoweth, such as one caught up to the third heaven he is confused at times he wishes to descend at other times he is unwilling for all sorts of thoughts flood into his mind Virgil the god of the intellect immediately diagnoses the poet's condition he is a coward l'anima tua è di viltà de offesa Your spirit is beset by cowardliness. Dante is teaching here that it is cowardliness which all too often encumbers our journey. Fear and lack of resolve turn us away from the task at hand. We are frightened of taking up the yoke that the Lord Lord taught is essential. If we are to follow him. We are afraid of insecurity. Cowardness is here represented as a passive state of the soul that we neither opt for good or for evil, for good or the devil, for God or the devil. All that is, is desired, is a feeble indulgence in the status quo. It is an act of neutrality when faced. With matters eternal. In order to stir the human soul into good action into action, the good of the intellect must be activated in a person. So Virgil relates how he was commissioned to become Dante's guide. And we note here it all depends on his right relationship of the Feminine Mysteries. Three Ladies. The verses conceal the deep teaching concerning the gaining of wisdom. Nothing may be done without our relating to the mystery of the Feminine. The teaching is centred in the doctrine of the Incarnation. God could not have become man through the operation of the Holy Spirit without the cooperation of the Virgin Mary. Likewise, God cannot be with us without without our own cooperation. In this, this sense, the soul, the anima, is feminine, receptive, longing to become pregnant with the life of the spirit we too must allow christ to be born within us deep in the heart the very center of our lives the deep cave that is within us i wish i think the hindus call the guha g u h a the reader may well be perplexed as to why it takes three ladies to draw the wayward poet back to the way. Their ministry is clear. They send Virgil, the good of the intellect, to awaken Dante's own right use of the mind. In this it is fundamental for him to acknowledge the feminine mysteries ranging from Mary the, the Theotokos, the mother of God, saint Lucy, the patron saint saint of the weak sighted to beatrice the beloved but why three ladies sorely and sharp for matter the mother of god alone should have been sufficient the answer lies in the commedia's essential symbol the circle look at the diagrams of the three realms. The circle throughout is their origin. The Cambridge Platonist Ralph Cudworth offers a pertinent and helpful explanation. This comes from a treatise concerning eternal and immutable morality, which was published after the author's death in 1731. God's nature is better expressed by some in this mystical or enigmatic representation of an infinite circle whose inmost centre is simple goodness, the radii or rays and expanded area thereof all comprehending and immutable wisdom. The exterior periphery or immediate endless circumference omnipotent will or activity by which everything without god is brought forth into existence cudworth's thoughts are of course a commentary on the traditional saying that god is like a circle whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere. Henry Moore, not the sculptor, but another Cambridge Platonist, in his Platonic Song of the Soul, explains the symbolic use of the word centre, central, or centrality, as follows. When they, the words, are used out of their ordinary sense, they signify the depth or innermost being of anything for whence its acts and energies flow forth Now think, if you know it, of the icon called In Thee Rejoices that shows the Mother of God at the centre of a panel within a circle, seated upon a throne the Christ Emmanuel seated on her lap. About her radiate the angels and the saints stand in praise. Ideally all are enclosed within an endless circle. The Christ child is the true centre and he is supported by Mary on her lap. Thus Jesus is born into our world through the feminine mysteries and in this all the saints may be said to be Mary-like or Christ-bearers. The icon represents the mystery of the Church in its deepest sense. If Dante, that is, the pilgrim soul, according to the allegory of the poem, is to become Christ-like, he must first become receptive, fertile to the Spirit, he must become another Mary. Mary and Christ are the circle centre. The saints and angels are the radii, that is, the acts and energies, as we read in Ralph Cudworth's quotation, the adoration, prayer, and intercession for all mankind. Dante had a special devotion to St. Lucy, a virgin martyr of the third century at Syracuse during the time of Diocletian. She is the patron saint of the weak hearted. Maybe Dante considered himself weak sighted when confronted with the glory of of Illuminated Grace. Lu- Lucy, Lucia, is a name implying light. Here is implied the true light of the soul. All the saints, militant and triumphant, radiate light, the light of the Transfiguration. This profound mystery we will be approached by Dante when we eventually reach Paradise. Mary is the centre, St. Lucy is the radius. Beatrice must therefore be like the circumference. Why? When the young Dante saw the nine-year-old Beatrice, he was overwhelmed by beauty. And so began the new life. Her epiphany is a to the sacramental principle, for she was an outward sign for the means of inward grace. She was, it is, Loda di Dio Vera, the true praise of God. Canto 2, verse 103. Mary, the centre, the Mother of God, sends Lucy to Beatrice to care for her wayward lover. The memory of Beatrice's beauty awakens the good of the intellect, the role of Virgil in the tale. Dante is thus rekindling his understanding and memory and stirring up his will. There is therefore an essential relationship between the Holy Spirit and the truly feminine. We acknowledge the Spirit's omnipresence through the feminine aspect of the anima, the soul only thus do we understand the truly masculine in the tale Dante is only just beginning to wake up as to the true nature of his manhood the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth and in us reawakens the good of the intellect. He is the comforter, strengthening strengthening us. He is everywhere present, and fills all things. By definition, he is the treasury of all good things, of the giver of life. He is the power by which Christ was incarnate. He is the power by which Christ comes and abides in us. He is the operation of all that is good, beautiful, and all that is abiding. We can't even love except that He first awakens love within us. When Virgil ends his speech, as if to emphasize the sacramental nature of all things, Dante likens the return of courage to his heart, as quali fioretti del notturno gelo chinati e chiusi, poi il sol li imbianca, si trizza tutti aperte a loro stello. Canto 2, verses 1-7 to 1-9. To to Little flowers which all the frosty night hung pinched and drooping, lift their stalks and fan their bosoms out, touched by the warm white light. Dante acknowledges that Virgil, the good of the intellect, will be from now on his leader, master and teacher. Tu Duca. Tu, Signore, e tu, Maestro. Canto 2, line 140. Thank you.